This morning we're in Psalms 119. If you would turn with me in your Bible to Psalms 119. This is the longest chapter in the Bible. So this is going to be the longest Bible study you have ever heard. (laughs) Now we're going to only go through the first 24 verses, if that's okay. So... It's a great psalm of the the glory of God's word. So let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word that you communicate your character, your heart, truth, how you want us to live our lives. We pray that you would give us a hunger for your word, an ability to understand it, an ability to apply it to our lives. So would you give us ears to hear and hearts to understand in Jesus' name, amen. The author of this psalm is unknown. Many think that it's David. Others think it could possibly be Ezra, the scribe, but we don't know who the author is. What's unique about this song, it, this psalm, is it's an acrostic. And so you'll notice in some of your Bible translations at the beginning of a stanza will be a Hebrew word, and that's the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, so they would take the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet and then write in a, a stanza off of that first uh, letter. So 22 letters in the alphabet, 22 stanzas each have eight verses. There's a reoccurring theme of God's word. There's synonyms that's used. The word, the word is used. Judgment, testimonies, commandments, statutes, precepts are used over and over in this psalm. Before we get into this, let's think about the glory of God's word for just a moment. Where would we be without God's word? If God had not communicated to us through his word. Through his word, we understand who he is. We understand his character. We understand his love and the sacrifice of Jesus dying upon the cross for us. It's a story of God's redemption from Genesis to Revelation. In Hebrews 4.12, it says that the word of God is living and it's powerful. It's able to discern between the soul and the spirit. Like where does the soul end and the spirit begin. We can't really divide that, but the word of God is so precise it even divides the soul and the spirit, divides the joints and the marrow, the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Have you ever been reading God's word and all of a sudden you just go, ouch, I didn't even realize that that was in my heart, but God's word is so precise or reading God's word and that encouragement, that comfort that you desperately needed from the Lord. So God's word, it's living and powerful. Paul writes to Timothy and says this, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. What do you believe about the scripture? Do you believe that this is a book like other books? Or do you believe that this is inspired? That it's breathed by the Holy Spirit? What you believe about God's word is very important. And we're living in a day and age where more and more churches and believers have a low view of the scriptures. That this is more a book of suggestions. That we get to decide what we want the Bible to say. But Paul says... The scripture 
is inspired by God. It's breathed by God for the purpose of giving us doctrine. Doctrine is what we believe about God and how he wants us to live our lives. The word of God is to form our doctrine. The word of God is to form our view of God. The view of what's right and the view of what's wrong. The scripture is given to us for correction, for reproof, but also for instruction. How good is reproof? How good is correction if there is not instruction? The word of God will cause you to be thoroughly equipped for every good work. There's nothing really worse than not being equipped for a project. This is where I live in realms of home projects. I'm not equipped in knowledge. I'm not equipped in skill. I'm not equipped with the the tools. And praise the Lord for YouTube, right? When my dishwasher breaks and fails that I can go to YouTube and kind of get equipped for, for the project. Someday I hope to know what it is to be thoroughly equipped for a home project, right? But God's promise here with the word of God is that it's inspired and it's gonna equip you. It's gonna equip you for every good work. It's gonna equip you for marriage. It's gonna equip you for parenting. It's gonna equip you for singleness. It's gonna equip you for life in the workplace, all of the different decisions that we, we go through in life. This psalm really does open up to us the glory of the word of God. So let's look in verse one of Psalms 119. It says, blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord. The word blessed means, oh, how happy. To be filled with joy. Jesus lived a life that was filled with joy. The book of Hebrews says that he was anointed with gladness above all of his fellows because he hated wickedness and he loved righteousness. Our lives are going to be filled with the abundance that God desires as we walk in purity inside of his way, as we walk in integrity inside of God's word. Have you ever regretted walking in God's word? Have you ever regretted purity when it comes to God's way. It leads to life. It leads to blessedness. Also the blessed who walk in the way of the Lord. Whenever you see the word walk in the scripture, it has to do with your lifestyle. It means your conduct, who you are as a person. I have found my life to be inside of the law of God. I found my life to be inside of the word of God. I want to take my decisions And submit them to the word of God. You're blessed as you walk in the word of God. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. Who seek him with a whole heart. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies. James reminds us and says. To not only be hearers of the word. But to be doers of the word. I promise that it will change the way that you approach the scriptures. If you have the attitude of, Lord, would you help me to do this? I want to apply this to my life. Anytime when we're learning, when we know that we have to actually put into practice the knowledge that we're learning, it changes our attitude. If you know in something that you're studying, I'm never going to use this, I just have to pass the test, not very motivated to pay attention in that. But let's say for sake of example, you're wanting to be a pilot, fly an airplane. And the training started in a classroom, 
a grounded classroom, you would probably be paying attention because you're like, I got to use what I'm learning up in the air, right? So when we come to scripture to say, Lord, I want to read the word this morning, this evening. I'm approaching this sermon that I'm listening to because I want to keep the word. I want to do the word. I want to apply what the word is saying to my heart and my life. It, it will drastically change the way we approach the scriptures. And then to seek him with a whole heart. When our heart is seeking God relationally, it really changes the way that we approach the scriptures as well. It's a heart thing. I'm seeking after God. I'm seeking a relationship with him. My heart is in this. God has won my heart through his death and resurrection. I want to get to know him in a greater way. So I'm seeking after him. The promise that God gives us, if we draw near to him, he'll draw near to us. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. This is a, a passionate pursuit of God from our heart. Our whole heart is seeking after the Lord. In verse three, they also do no iniquity. They walk in his ways. You have commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. This decision to choose to walk in obedience to the word of God. You've commanded us to keep your precepts diligently. Please understand this is we seek to obey God from a position of salvation, not for salvation. Our salvation is received by grace through faith, thankfully, based on the finished work of the cross. Jesus declared, it is finished. If we had to work for our salvation, how much work would you have to do to be saved? At which point have you done enough work to, to be saved? We're saved by grace. So we respond to that grace, we respond to that love, we respond to that favor and say, I want to keep the word of God. And I want to try to obey the word of God diligently based upon the mercy of God. Because God has forgiven me. I am his child. I want to be close to my father. So I'm going to diligently try to obey. Diligence, obedience, gives birth to more obedience. I was reminded of this in my lack of working out through the month of December and into to January. Through 2019, I tried to do more running, more, more jogging. Did pretty good up until November. I ran once in November and once in December as the weather got cold. I have an app on my phone called Run Tracker, and it's kind of a delight, but it's more brutal because it reminds you, hey, it's been six weeks, sucker, since you went for a run. <laughs> so I went out on Saturday for a run. It had been since December 17th, and my body rebelled against me. It only been six weeks, right? I did this normal route that I kind of do in my neighborhood, and my time per mile was down two minutes per mile. It took me 10 minutes longer than December 17th. It's only been six weeks, right? There were some times on this run yesterday as I might as well have been walking, right? That's how much my body, just in six weeks, had lost some muscle, lost some stamina, lost some, some condition. And in our lives, it's the same way with obedience. 
when we're diligent to obey, it's easier to obey. When we're in that habit and that mindset of I'm obeying the Lord, that's going to lead to more obedience. But if we're in this attitude of disobedience, that can start to avalanche in our lives as well. So where we're at is where we're at this morning, right? So we might be in this place of saying, I haven't really been obedient to the Lord. I really haven't sought to obey his word with diligence. Well, turn that over to the Lord. Ask for power of the Holy Spirit. Make that decision of saying, well, I want to start to obey, right? If you're in a good discipline of obedience, man, don't slack off. Don't, don't go, oh, I've got this. I got this obedience thing figured out, right? It's stay diligent. And obedience is going to lead to more obedience. Disobedience is going to lead to more disobedience. Be obedient to the, to the word of God. In verse 5, Oh, that my ways were directed to keep your statutes. I love this. Did you hear this? This prayer of saying, God, would you direct my ways into your word? God does amazing things through prayer. Prayer is that practical dependence upon God. God, I see the goodness of your word. I want to walk in it, but I lack the strength. I lack the ability. I lack the obedience sometimes. So Lord, would you help me? Would you direct my ways to be in your word, to be submitted to you? In verse six, then I would not be ashamed when I look into all of your commandments. The psalmist understands as he knows the commands of God, there's a confidence there. Isn't it wonderful to have studied the scriptures and go, I know where God stands on this. I don't need to be confused. I don't have to wonder what culture's saying or my best friend's saying or what my family's saying. I read it for myself. I know chapter and verse. And it's clear what God is communicating. I've rightly divided the word of God so I'm not ashamed. Again, Paul speaking to Timothy, he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's a great place to be, isn't it? It provides a confidence. I know God's commands. I know where God stands on this issue. I know what the gospel is. I know how a person is saved. I know what's needed for someone to believe in order for them to go to heaven. Isn't it wonderful to be able to say, I know where God stands on relationships. I know that because I've read the first few chapters of Genesis. I can be confident in what the Lord has declared to me. That comes through spending time in the word of God, rightly dividing the word of God. In verse seven, I'll praise you with uprightness of heart when I learn your righteous judgments. When we learn more about God, it causes us to praise. It causes us to worship. When we understand who he is through his word, when we experience that in our lives, we go, man, God, you're so good. I was reading in my devotions yesterday in Exodus, and Moses asked to see the glory of God. He said, God, I want to know your glory. God was gracious to respond to that prayer and revealed to Moses that he's gracious, that he's merciful, that he's long-suffering. And Moses bowed down and worshiped. When he understood the glory of God in a greater way, he worshiped. When we learn God's judgments, it causes us to praise the Lord. In verse eight, I will keep your statutes. Oh, do not forsake me utterly. 
There's this decision to be obedient to the Lord, but also a need and a plea for God's grace. God, please don't leave me. Please don't forsake me. I know my own sinfulness. In verse 9, a new stanza, the second letter of the Hebrew alphabet. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. A question oftentimes that young people are asking. How do I cleanse my way? How do I have a life that is free of pornography, that's free of sexual sin? How do I have a life that's free of anger or free of covetousness? Why does the scripture highlight youth? Because youth does have a great potential for good, great potential for serving God. But it also has great temptation for sin. I took my younger two kids to Trampoline World on Friday, and there was a group of college kids that came into Trampoline World, and they were bouncing around like crazy. And I was like, I just don't have that kind of energy anymore, right? And there's something about a 20-year-old that's just full of energy, full of life, great potential to be used by the Lord, to know God and to step out in faith, but there's also that tendency for temptation to be so strong. But let's be honest, does the temptation ever go away, right? Does an old man cease to have a sinful flesh? No, it's still there. This is a question I think everybody's asking. How do I cleanse my way? I've been struggling with this area of sin for for so long. How do I have victory from this sin? And the answer, by taking heed according to your word of elevating scripture to the point in our lives where we take heed to it. We have these red boxes on the walls and above it is another red box with a little light. It's the fire alarm system. And on average, about every two years during a service, that fire alarm goes off. And what do we all do? We do not move, right? Everybody just kind of sits in their seats and I kind of stand here and just, oh, you know, I, I don't really think that there's an emergency. Why is that? Because if you'll notice on the lower box, there's a white handle. And on that white handle, those boxes are also throughout children's ministry. <laughs> and can you blame a five-year-old boy looking at that box going, I wonder what that handle does. (laughs) And eventually there's some brave young Joshua's and Caleb's down there that will pull that and cause the alarm to go off. And so most of the time, some of the great members of our security team come let us know, hey, it's a false alarm. No need to worry about it. We'll, We'll shut it off, right? Hopefully we get it shut off before... The fire department shows up, which usually doesn't happen because Station 10 is right down the street at Meadowland Inn Academy. We don't really take heed to it. Ah, it's probably just a false alarm. It's no big deal. And I wonder sometimes if we read the Word of God and God's Word sending off a, a warning sign saying, hey, don't get close to that. Don't touch that. Don't do that. And we're like, oh, oh yeah probably would be a good idea to pay attention to it. 
but we're really not paying attention to it. We're really not taking heed to it. I'm sure the enemy of our souls, Satan, would love to lull us to sleep when it comes to the word of God. When we really dig down deep into why we take heed to something or not, you know, it usually comes down to the issue of respect and faith. You probably have a few people in your life, when they tell you something, you listen. When they say jump, you say how high, right? Because you respect them. And so they have that authority in place in your life. Also, if we really believe something, we respond to it. If we really believe there was a fire in the building, we would get out of here quickly, wouldn't we? It was like, bam, I'm, I'm out of here. I'm getting my kids out of here. There's, there's real danger here. So when it comes to taking heed to God's word, it's one, this issue of respecting who God is and trusting, man, he's got the best plan and intention for my life. God said it, so I trust it. I respect it. But then also I believe it. I believe that his ways are right. I believe that his word is right. So may God awaken in us a respect and a belief in God's word to where we would take heed to it. Because as we take heed to it, that's how we would cleanse our ways. There's a great quote from Augustine, a famous theologian from the past. He says, Lord, make me chaste, which is Lord, make me pure, but not yet. (laughs) And a lot of times I think that's where we're at, if we're honest, right? God, purify my life, but not today, right? I'm still kind of comfortable in this sin, I'm still kind of comfortable in this this struggle. I I don't really want to change. I'm not ready to take heed to your word. So verse 10, with my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. So we have this balance here where the psalmist is like, I've sought you with my whole heart, but yet I still know that there's this propensity inside of me to wander from you, to wander from your commandments. So God, would you keep me from wandering? And that's so wise. We, we know our hearts. We know our propensity to wander and to drift and to make it part of our prayer life. Lord, help me not wander. Help me stay close to you. Help me stay close to your word. Continuing on in verse 11, it says, Your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. God's word hidden in our hearts so that we might not sin against him. Sometimes God's word being in our hands is too far away. Sometimes God's word being on our Bible app, on our phones, on our devices is too far away. God's word needs to be hidden inside of our hearts. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness in Matthew chapter four to combat the temptation of the enemy, he quoted small sections of scripture. He'd been meditating upon scripture from the law and he quotes these Truths, man shall not live on bread alone. You shall not tempt the the Lord your God. Jesus could have relied upon his deity. He could have relied upon the angels, called the angels down. But instead, he relied on something that is accessible to us. Short sections of scripture that we've put into our hearts so that we might not sin against God. Aren't you thankful that Jesus didn't quote all of Psalms 119? We'd be like, there's no hope for me. I mean, he's God. That's how he was able to memorize Psalms 119. But he did something that is attainable for us, taking small sections of scripture, 
meditating upon it, memorizing it, and the word of God will be a protection against sin. So here's the temptation. We're tempted just like Jesus was tempted. We quote the word of God out loud, and God's word is powerful. We run to Jesus in that moment asking for his help. Bible Gateway is a great tool. It's a great website, BibleGateway.com. You can type in lust. You can type in anger. You can type in bitterness. You can type in forgiveness. Memorize a short verse. Go old school. Get a three-by-five card. Probably they sell those on Amazon, I think, right? And write down a few verses. Post-its are great. Post it on your mirror. Post it on your computer screen. Post it somewhere in your car. You just spend a lot of time in your car, but memorize it. And it'll be powerful in our hearts and our lives to keep us from sin. Notice that the psalmist says that I might not sin against you. Sin's not just an issue that it destroys my life and it destroys those that I love. That's absolutely true, but it hurts the God I love. It hurts my father's heart. It puts a wedge between my relationship with him and he's ready to forgive and restore. But the issue is between me and God. And the psalmist is saying, I don't want to sin against you. He's not saying, I just want to make my life better. I want to get over my anger so that my life's better. You know, I, I want to get over my lust so that I can fix my marriage. As important as that is. He says, God, I don't want to sin against you. I, I love you. And I know that you love me. I don't want there to be a barrier. So I'm going to hide God's word in my heart so that God's word can be a protection against sin. In verse 17, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. Breaks into worship of how good God is and that request for God to teach him. With my lips, I have declared all the judgments of your mouth. This is evidence that God's word has gotten into his heart because now God's word's on his lips. Jesus told us that our words reflect our hearts, that we speak out of the abundance of our hearts. So as God's word's in our heart, then that's going to come on our lips. Verse 14, I have rejoiced in the way of your testimonies as much as in all riches. The psalmist understands that the word of God is more valuable than riches. When you go into Proverbs, that's really emphasized. If someone were to hand you $10,000 today, how would you rejoice? We would probably be pretty blessed. Probably like, wow, I really had this need in my life, and I'm so thankful for that. How would we respond if somebody handed us a Bible? We've got some free Bibles, the back of the sanctuary on the tables. If you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you one this morning. Just pick it up and take it home with you. Would we approach it with the same way as that $10,000? Be like, man, I'm so, this is, this is the this best thing that anyone could give me. This is going to reveal who God is and what he has for my life and my purpose for being here on the earth. And the psalmist understands this. How do we know that God's word's better than riches? Because there's a lot of celebrities in our culture that have riches, but they don't have the word of God. And we see the emptiness of their, their lives. Now, is there anything wrong with riches? That's not what the Bible teaches. It's the love of money that's the root of all kinds of evil. Money can be a tool that's used to, to glorify God. So the problem is not money. The problem is our attitude. What do we value more? 
Do we value money or do we value the word of God even beyond riches? Verse 15, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. Taking time to look at a verse, meditate upon it, contemplate upon it, an attribute of God. It's good to read big chunks of God's word, but also to slow down and read a small section. Meditate upon a verse, contemplate his ways. And as we do that, the character of God is revealed to us. The truth of God hits us in a greater way. I will delight myself in your statutes. I will not forget your word. As we taste and see that God is good, it produces in us this delight in the word of God. Deal bountifully with your servant that I may live and keep your word. Wants God's blessing on his life so that he can keep God's word. That's interesting. Why do we desire God's blessing on our lives? Is it for the purpose of keeping his word? Verse 18, a great prayer. Open my eyes that I may see your wondrous things from your law. God, would you help me to understand your word? Would you open up my eyes so that I can understand it? Verse 19, I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. I'm just passing through. Psalmist says, I'm a foreigner here. I'm headed towards eternity. My soul breaks with longing for your judgment at all times. He's heartbroken for the word of God. Homeboy is heartbroken for the word of God. He says, my soul breaks with longing for your judgments, for your word. That's pretty cool. That our hearts would be at a place of saying, my heart is broken to know the word of God. You rebuke the proud, the cursed, who'd strayed from your commandments. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Remove from me reproach and contempt, for I've kept your testimonies. God is really good at removing reproach and contempt off of us through the blood of Jesus, through the sacrifice of his son, lifting off condemnation. Princes also sit and speak against me, but your servant meditates on your statutes. There will be resistance that comes when you put your life into the word of God. Here the psalmist is saying, those that are in authority, the princes, they speak against me, but that's okay. I'm going to continue to meditate upon God's word. I'm not going to allow that resistance to keep me from meditating upon God's word. It reminds me of Daniel as he's in Babylon. They tell Daniel, hey, you can't pray. Daniel says, no, I'm going to continue to pray where everyone can see me three times a day not allowing that opposition to keep him from his relationship with God. Verse 24, your testimonies also are a delight and my counselor. What would you consider to be your counselor? What would you consider, where do you go to look for counsel in this life? God does tell us that we get counsel from one another, that there's safety in the multitude of of counselors. But on our list of counselors, I hope God's word's number one. Because every human counselor is a sinner, is fallible, has a limited perspective. But God is infinite in his wisdom. Say, God, I'm going first to your word to be my counselor. And then secondary, I'll rely upon your people. I'll, I'll rely upon godly counselors in my life. But God is a trusted counselor through his word. Can I cheat a little bit this morning? Well, I'm going to anyway. I told you we're only going through the first 24 verses. I've got to do verse 105. 
If I'm going to be in Psalms 119, I have to do Psalms 105. So turn with me to Psalms 119, verse 105. It's just kind of weird to say in a chapter that there's 105 verses, but this is an, a great nugget here. It says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. If you've ever been out in the mountains and it's dark and you've got a flashlight, maybe you're in the forest. That flashlight is really good at lighting up your immediate steps. But if you take the flashlight and you put it out even 15 or 20 feet, it'll light up, but you're not going to see the obstacles that's right in front of your feet. And that's David's illustration here, if he's the one who wrote this psalm or whoever the author of this psalm is. Is he's saying, God, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How many times have you been in God's word and God's word has given you the direction for what you've needed that day? God is the God of daily bread, of manna. He gives us enough for the moment. He gives us enough for the day. And this is why it's so important to be in God's word on a daily basis because the Lord wants to direct us today from his word as we spend time in it. As we listen to messages from the word of God, we get warnings like, hey, be careful on what you say. All right, I need to take heed to that. Oh, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. Or you read a promise, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And you go, oh, that, that's exactly what I needed today. God's lighting up your path. He's giving you that, that step. But so many times we take the word of God and we try to shine it 10 years down the road in our lives. That's usually not how the Lord directs us. We want the 10-year plan. And he's like, nope, I'm not giving you the 10-year plan. I'm gonna get you through today, right? I've got provision for you today. Why do you think God doesn't give us the 10-year plan? Because we wouldn't like it and we'd argue with it. We're like, really, God? This is what I gotta go through, Right? But he just, each day he meets us. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. If you had a, a loved one pass away, I'm talking the closest human relationships that you have on this planet. A mom, a dad, your spouse, one of your children. And after they passed, you found out that they left you a letter and they shared their heart for you in that letter. Some wisdom in that letter. It came out in the will where the letter was located. How quickly do you think you'd go find that letter? How fast do you think you would open it up? How carefully would you read it? Looking at their handwriting. Every word, reading over it several times. Gang, this is God's love letter. This is love letter. We love God because he first loved us. He demonstrated his love towards us while we were still sinners. It's his love that constrains us. This is not duty. This isn't, you have to read your Bible out of rules and regulation. God loves you more if you read your Bible. I've got good news for you. God doesn't love you more if you read your Bible. 
You're not more saved if you read your Bible. You're not more forgiven if you read your Bible. You are saved by grace through faith. God has given us his unconditional love. We get to respond to that love by saying, I want to get to know you. I want to read your love letter. I realize this is your reserved love letter for me. The Holy Spirit lives inside of each of us as believers. And the Holy Spirit leads us and guides us into truth. You have the best teacher living inside of you. Please do not ever believe the lie that you cannot understand the Bible. The Bible is not just for Bible college students, seminary students, and seminary professors. Nothing wrong with Bible college and seminary and all of those things. But God wrote this for his people to be able to understand it. Yes, are there difficult sections of scripture? Absolutely. Are there things we'll wrestle with until we go home to be with the Lord? Absolutely. But is there a whole bunch in here that we can understand about God and what he wants for our lives? Absolutely. My story, my life, I'm not highly academic. I didn't learn how to read until the summer before fourth grade. I still struggle with reading. I went to a two-year unaccredited Bible college. I have an associate's degree that means nothing in the world's standards. I never went to seminary. I don't have a master's in divinity. God in his grace allows me to understand his word. That's the only reason, is God in his grace. And God in his grace will allow you to understand the word of God. And maybe you have a healthy habit of being in God's word. Continue it. And ask that God would grow your hunger for the word, ability to understand it, and ability to apply it. Maybe you've never spent time reading God's word. That's okay. What an exciting place to start. I'd encourage you to start in the Gospel of Mark. At the beginning of the Bible, it lists the books of the Bible, and it'll give you the page number of the Gospel of Mark. There's 66 books written by 66 different people with one message of Jesus Christ and him crucified. Read a chapter a day, a half a chapter a day. Approach it with a pencil and start underlining your Bible. And you'll be amazed at what God would, would show you. God's word is so good. And we get to respond to it based on his love for us. So let's stand together and let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving your word to us and communicating your character, your love. And we come to you as broken people and we do ask in Jesus' name that you would give us a greater hunger for your word. That you would stir up within us that desire to be in your word. And Lord, also that you would give us an ability to understand it. Holy Spirit, would you teach us the scriptures? For all of us, would you be gracious to open up our eyes and our ears and our hearts to your word and then also give us the ability to apply it? So Lord, we love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.